Father, we come before you and we thank you for this day and this time and this opportunity that we have to gather in your presence from afar and from close by and to give praise to your name. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, once again, good morning on this Sunday that we gather together. And as we are gathering, we are reminding ourselves to continue in a time of prayer as we are once again faced with this uh, global event. And we lift that up through this day. We fast through this day. And may the Lord once again hear our prayers. We're going to pray and then we are going to dive into our final sermon in our Stronghold series. Dear Father God, we thank you for the word that you have given us. We thank you for uh, the self-awareness that you have provided. And Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather and to be blessed in your presence. Lord, as we open your word to a number of different places this morning, we are reminded of the great plan that you have for us. And we give you this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So over these last couple months, we've been looking at this concept of strongholds. We've been looking through the breadth of Scripture, understanding how strongholds can become something in our lives. They can either be ideas, uh, personal struggles, sometimes misguided beliefs that have taken a root within our lives and put us in a position where they are holding us back, where they are limiting us from our potential. In some cases, these strongholds may even have become idols that we do not even realize that we are holding on to. Things that have become so important to us, they have not allowed us to understand the world around us properly. These strongholds, they form for any number of reasons, but the primary piece to all of it, the root at every single one of them, is the basis of sin. And it may not even be a conscious sin of the types of situations where we do something and we know that it's not what God intended. But it can be this type of sin that comes from holding on to things that are not God's priority. And when we look at every aspect of sin, every uh, instance where humanity has strayed, it's because at some point or another, there's been a conscious or unconscious decision to take our own sets of values, our own priorities, and to put them against and above what God has said. And these things may not even be evil unto themselves, like once again having enough of what we need or having confidence in who we are and our skills. But by holding on to these ideas, these identity pieces, we do not allow God to speak in them, and they become obstacles and hindrances for us. Strongholds can damage so many things within our own lives and the lives of the people around us. They can blind us from God's work. Now, we even see that throughout Scripture as the spies who entered the promised land. How many of them were able to see what God was in the midst of working and doing? How many of them were overcome by this stronghold of fear, of obstacle of what was to come? And because of that, in their mind, it was better to give up the endeavor altogether rather than holding on to what God had laid out. Strongholds do not allow us and force us to lose the ability to see how God is moving. We see this either in Moses and the burning bush as he is struggling to see what God is building, or Jonah and the concept of this ministry to Nineveh that he had deemed was going to be impossible before it had even begun. 
And it allowed them both to potentially miss the fact that God was building something because of the own ideas that they had, their own concerns and their own things that they were personally struggling with. And finally, again, this concept of strongholds can deafen us to God's voice. That we lose the ability to see how Jesus' teachings play into the shaped actions of our life. About how we would be led to behave differently, engage somewhere that we wouldn't have otherwise because of the things that we're holding on to so closely in our own hearts. And that makes us think of the rich young ruler who once again wasn't against the, pros- the concept of uh, sharing his prosperity. But what did that f- emotionally do to him? It m- forced him into a position where he left feeling saddened. For each of us individually, our strongholds will be entirely different. For some of us, they may even be seasonal, that we may struggle with something, a sin or an idea in the world. And we may overcome that through the grace of the Lord. And years down the road, months, maybe even days, find ourselves once again struggling with that again. Strongholds are the things in life that need to be removed from how we live, how we breathe, and how we think. So that God can work a new thing in our hearts and in our lives. Now, Scripture does talk about these strongholds, uh, not just in the military sense of the Old Testament as um, towers of strength and security. Uh, and within military movements, uh, it's not just talked about within Scripture as these things that take root in our lives that we should struggle against and tear down. But Scripture also talks about the positive concept of strongholds that exist. That these strongholds of a positive nature can bring rest and peace, and joy. And I think all of you can agree with me this morning that we could all do with a little more of those things in our own lives. And when we look at the scriptures, we see very quickly that God is the ultimate stronghold that we can find rest, peace, joy, comfort, and security within. Nahum 1.7 says, God is a good, God is good, as a refuge in the day of distress, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Jeremiah 16.9, Adonai, my strength, my stronghold, my refuge in the day. Psalm 9, verse 10, Adonai is a stronghold for the oppressed, a high tower in times of trouble. Psalm 27.1, Adonai is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Now I know... If you're anything like me, it seems like everything that you see right now is in relation to this COVID epidemic. Every piece of news, every Facebook post, every meme, if you don't know what that is, ask your grandkids. It seems to be the only thing that we are talking about that we are working through and struggling with. Some pastors are screaming that the sky is falling and this is the end, and others are acting in ignorance behaving and encouraging others to act as if nothing has changed within the world around us. But regardless of where you sit on the spectrum of believing that this is a conspiracy or a global pandemic, regardless of how and which you have changed your interactions with the world, which we believe at our church that to stay home right now is the right choice for the safety of others, is actually not important to the point that I'm trying to make. 
Because regardless of how serious you take the global situation that we are in, and it is one to be taken seriously, the reality is that the global landscape for us as Christians has never been quite like this before. The world has changed. I was saying to Ashley a week ago that it feels like a lifetime ago that I could just book a chiropractic appointment and head over to the chiropractor's office or swing down to the mall to pick something up. And she looked at me sternly in the eyes and said, it's been a week. You need to relax. And frankly, I think that is the case. Because as the world is changing, we are settling in to a new reality. I decided to take a look historically at when the last time that Canada had some type of uh, restriction in terms of this, or we were faced with such a global pandemic. And the last time that nationally these restrictions were laid out in some way, shape, or form was either going to be World War I, World War II, or in 1970 during the October crisis in Quebec. The reality is, is that we are in a time of uncertainty, We are in a time of confusion. We are in a time of greed. We are in a time that is being ruled by fear. And all of these things are running rampant. But as we've looked over the last number of weeks, we know that these are the strongholds that we do not allow and should not allow and will not allow to take root within our souls as Christians today. Because the reality is if we are not careful... The devil is going to use this global pandemic to force us to behave in a way that does not shape and grow the gospel. He will use these fears, these confusions as strongholds to build obstacles for the church and obstacles for us within our faith. So what does it look like living in this time that we are in right now? What does it look like to seek the refuge of God to give us the peace and strength and maturity and allow us to operate out of a place of wisdom of how to interact with the neighbors that we have and the community that we are in and the global situation that we find ourselves under today? And I believe, and this may be hard for some of us to hear, that it means that it is time to stop complaining. It's time to accept the fact that this may not just be for this week or next, and we will be informed when and how these changes are taking place. But if we really think about what's being asked of us during World War I and World War II, you look at the enlistment that was required for the military the sacrifice that was given through our ancestors who fought and died for the peace and security that we have, we are being asked to sit on a couch. And I really don't think that that is a hard thing to be asked to do. Particularly in this day and age with Netflix and all of the things that we have, with the fact that we have thousands of Bible studies and videos, and ministries on our Right Now Media, which is free to you if you email us. The reality is that the sacrifice that we are being asked to give is so minimal, it begs the question that why we are so stressed by it. And I believe we are stressed because the enemy is speaking into our ears and trying to push us into a place of complacency. But in anything in life, I wonder 
At what point do we stop looking at the problems that we have, the walls that we face as problems and walls? And what point do we start looking at them as obstacles and challenges to overcome? Over the past couple days, Logan at home has been building this jungle puzzle, which is 200 pieces. And I can't think if he's ever done a puzzle that big before. But when we dumped all the pieces onto the table, he was instantly overcome with the concept of having to do this puzzle. And he just said, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And we talked about what you do in terms of a puzzle. Maybe you're one of those strange people that starts from the middle out. That makes no sense. We can get you help. But the first thing that Logan and I talked about doing was going through the puzzle and pulling out all of the edge pieces. Has he got all those edge pieces out? To segregate them by color. There's sky in this corner, jungle in this corner. There is a plant over here and start to do that. Then to separate the pieces of the different animals that he could see. The macaw was huge. He loved the tiger in the corner to get those and start to build those in. And as of when I left today, he is 163 pieces out of this 200 puzzle. And he is now motivated. He is now excited about the concept of tackling something that he had no interest in doing. Because when he looked at that giant mess of puzzle, without even seeing half the picture, instead in his mind... It was such a large wall in front of him, it wasn't even worth trying. I was talking with a pastor friend, and as we do this digital service, um, seemingly at least for these few weeks, the concept of not being upset and frustrated by it, but why not use it as an opportunity to do a better job within our production, to be more creative with how we engage you. I mean, I saw one church this week who was doing bedtime stories with their children's pastor at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. You just tune into their live stream and Pastor Amos does a children's story. The fact that there isn't anything that we can't accomplish right now in terms of the opportunity to continue to grow in God's Word, even though we're stuck at home and even though we're not able to gather together in a larger body. Which begs the question once again, how much could the church grow in this season ahead of us if we started thinking and dreaming about the ways in which God could move in a circumstance that is not ideal? Because that is the way God works. He moves in poor circumstances, in lack of resources to accomplish more than was capable of without him in the process. And once again, when we look at the last hundred years or otherwise, this is the least amount of restriction that the body of Christ has ever gone through in a time of struggle and change. And therefore, we need to reimagine not only how we do ministry as a church, which it's amazing, even as pastors, what we've realized that we can continue to do. But it begs the question of where do we look to go in the future ahead of us? as we have taken these strongholds of sin, as we have torn them down, as God has freed us from the struggles that we're dealing with, and as he has moved us into a place of freedom, we have to ask ourselves the question, what next? Now, a few years ago, we handed out a handful of copies of a book called Simple Church. Most of you are probably thinking, yeah, I remember that book. And you either loved it or weren't really appreciative of it. But what I found interesting is in this concept of simple church, it asks 
the leadership of a church to go back to the roots of what makes your church unique as a body. And then in the process, once you define whether what that trait is that makes you unique, whether it's that you are a, uh, a church that is really generous or whether it's a, a church that has a fantastic capacity for uh, sports outreach or whatever it is, whatever that trait is for your church, just rest in that and stop doing everything else. And it advises in this book to take a break, to take a self-imposed, huh, almost quarantine of a time to evaluate you within your leadership structure, within your church, the ministries that you participate in, and ask yourself the question, what are those things for us that define us as a body? And as I was chatting with one of our leaders this week, it struck me that we have found ourselves in a season where we are not doing half of what we used to. And in that sense, it allows us this time to think and dream, to live and breathe only what we do best. And I think that's the reason why basketball players play basketball and baseball players play baseball. Despite Michael Jordan's awkward stint back in the 90s that most people prefer not to talk about, it's this concept of living and breathing the best of who you are and the best of how God made you and the best of what God made you to do. So how do we discern this future together as a church? I believe it starts first within this concept of praying. This aspect within prayer of going to God, of speaking, of giving Him our concerns, our beliefs, our wants, our desires, our fears, laying all that at His feet, And then to then take a step back and sit in silence and allow God to speak back into us. Now once again, this is primarily these speaking and listening opportunities, a personal practice, but it's something that we can be doing as well corporately. And I don't know about you, but in my life, the situations and times where I've gone to the Lord in prayer and in fasting for clarity and direction, I often get what I'm looking for. I might have a hard time hearing it. But then as we're collectively as a body asking God where we want to go, we're going to be hearing all of these different things from God, which then leaves us with an opportunity to sit and share and discuss together what God has told us. For leaders to gather, for small groups to gather, and to go around the table and for everyone to have their turn and say, this is what I hear God telling me. And in that aspect, this concept of meeting in community and discussing the outcome of our times of prayer, I believe, is an act of prayer itself. Because it's making real the revelation of what God has given us. To hear and do nothing makes no sense. But to hear and respond, and then to collectively come together. That as we pray individually, as we pray as a leadership... We pray to receive a recognition of what God is already doing around us. And this whole concept of speaking and sharing and that being an aspect of how God speaks is entirely biblical. In Acts 15.28 it says, And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, as the New Testament leaders were trying to figure out a certain situation and context for themselves. 
Now, how do you think you figure out what's good to the Holy Spirit and to a group of people? You have to sit. You have to listen. And each person around the circle have the opportunity to share it. Now, when we do this, and as Jesus affirms what the Holy Spirit is telling in us, we are going to come up with a variety of ideas of where to go. And I was trying to think this week of something that you could do a lot of different ways that not one is right or one is wrong. And I thought of something. So my question for you, and take a minute, just in the people in the room with you, uh, to ask yourself and get a number in mind, how many different ways are there to cook an egg? So once again, right at home now, uh, just give a number to the person next to you. Uh, From what my research says, without getting too semantic-oriented, there are actually 11 ways to cook an egg. Hard-boiled, soft-boiled, hard-scrambled, soft-scrambled, sunny-side, over-easy, over-medium, over-hard, poached, baked, and basted. Now, depending on how you like your eggs, good for you. There is no wrong way to cook an egg out of those options. But personally, I really dislike hard-boiled eggs. I think it takes it back to a funeral when I was a kid where I ate all like something like 20-something deviled eggs. That's like a good like 10 full eggs. And since then, I, oh, I, I just can't do it. And the youth will know this as we're at Pitch and Praise. They'd always have a bowl of hard-boiled eggs, and I just skirt that like something worth avoiding. But that doesn't mean that if your favorite is a hard-boiled egg, that it is wrong. And honestly, I believe preferences are important, and preferences are a concept that we need to recognize in where we're going as a church. But that doesn't mean that our own preference supersedes everyone else's. And that doesn't mean our way of doing it is the only right way or effective way And I honestly believe as a church that we have been placed in a season due to the global pandemic that we are in where a lot of our strongholds have actually just been forcibly taken away for us. Through no effort and energy of our own, we no longer have to worry half as much about busyness as we did one month ago. For many of us, we have been forced to work from home or perhaps once again, working is just no longer an option for you. Our social calendars have been decimated in the utmost of ways. Shopping is now no longer an option. Privacy in your own home may not be quite the option that it used to be. And the distraction of a million different things to take our attention outside of the home are no longer factors that we have to deal with. We have been put in a place where our dependency on God is more primary than it ever has been. And when we do decide as a church where the Lord is leading us, for every decision that we make, the reality is 10 people will have a different opinion on what it could do or what it could be. And if we decide within our ministry moving forward that we are going to hard-boil our ministry, somebody's going to have a problem with it or think that instead it should be soft-boiled. So it begs the question for us, once again, as we're thinking and dreaming and hearing from God about what to do next, how do we sift through the amount of ideas of what we can do as we are seeking God as this refuge and guidance for us? Well, we have to ask, is there a biblical value for what we're trying to do? 
Is there a theme or concept or practice within Scripture that we can draw a parallel between an aspect of our ministry and that and show from Scripture that this is an ongoing value and need that the Lord communicates? And then the second thing that we need to ask ourselves is will we as a church, global church, will we as a small church, Markham Missionary Church, Will we be focused on the things and doing things that continue to build God's kingdom for the future generations ahead of us? There was a study done a number of years ago, um, and I forget the name, I always want to call it the Bleeding Hearts, but it's called Hemorrhaging Faith. And it was a study done off my generation, off the kids that I grew up with, and how many of them into their 20s and 30s have still gone to church. And the reality is that statistically speaking, there's about an 85% drop-off, which means 8.5 out of 10 of the kids that I went to church with growing up no longer attend or have a faith that is vibrant with the Lord. And even if we called that 2 out of 10, that means me and one other kid. I don't believe that this is a legacy that we want to leave after we have died, and I mean myself included. I believe that we need to be building a church that seeks God's values above all else, that seeks God's priorities, and the way in which that takes shape will be vibrant and unexpected and different. And the reality is is that as we live our lives over these next few weeks, as we continue to wait to see what happens next. We have been forced into a season that is a little less intense than I think what most of us are working, are used to working with. And I think that this could be the greatest potential blessing if used correctly for the church and for Markham Missionary Church as well to continue to seek the needs of all of those people within our ministries, to seek the opportunity to continue to stay connected, to give a call to someone. Our leaders are trying to get uh, connected with all of us as congregation members. And I think as congregation members, you can do the same thing. Call one person from each page of the directory, one call a day, just to let them know that you're thinking of them. And that we can continue with connecting with each other even though we can't be together. I believe as a church and I believe as Christians the greatest peace that we can be in our world right now is to accept what we cannot control and to be creative in the face of what we have the opportunity to do that we recognize that God is ahead of us, God is in control, and God is above all the chaos. And God didn't ask us to be immune to the things that are going on in the world, but he did ask us for faithfulness. And as we learn to let go of these negative strongholds within our lives, as we learn to take hold of the fact that God is the refuge in which we seek, the world around us will look at us. They will see something different. Something attractive. Something powerful about the way in which we are living and behaving 
within a world that sometimes seems like it's just lost its mind a little bit. And as we know, it is faithfulness that the Lord requires to do great things. Let's pray. Dear Father God, as we come before you this morning, we recognize that you have all things in your hands. Lord, as we come before you, we recognize that it is your will that needs to be done above all. And Lord, we ask that in this season ahead of us, as we are staying home, don't allow our televisions and our newspapers to become the most interesting thing. But may this be the beginning of a new season that we hear from you in the deepest way that we ever have. And Lord, that's dependent on us. It's dependent on how often we turn to you. That's dependent on how much space that we give you. But Lord, as scripture says, you are the stronghold that cannot be overcome. Lord, we seek you to find rest, to find peace, and to find, once again, the blessings of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.